You are about to listen to a sermon from Common Ground Church in Rapid City, South Dakota. We hope to see you in person. For more information, visit commongroundcma.org. Here we go. Are you guys ready for this? We're about to say goodbye to 1 Corinthians. What? What? What do you mean? Oh. This is, you guys, have you read 1 Corinthians? It's a book of correction. It's like, um, this is the, it's supposed to be a challenging and convicting book, but we're about to say goodbye to 1 Corinthians. 18 weeks, you guys. 18 weeks we've been spending in 1 Corinthians. Um, we stretched it a little bit in the last couple of weeks, mostly because of some of the weird things in the schedule, but 18 weeks we've been in 1 Corinthians. We have looked through all kinds of different things. And what I like to do at the end of some of these series is just capitalize on this for you guys. And just so you know, since we're a smaller group, we can have a little bit of back and forth. And I'll ask you some questions here in just a minute. But um, one of the beautiful things about teaching through the scriptures is when we focus on the entirety of a book, right? When we have to look through 1 Corinthians, you can't avoid the passages that our contemporary culture doesn't like to talk about. You can't avoid some, you can't hide from some of the passages where you're like, where you have to wrestle with God's heart, your heart, your culture's heart, and all that stuff. I love that about teaching through the scriptures. And, uh, I'm gonna use that as, uh, as just to capitalize, uh, on an announcement that Nick made before. We're gonna be going through a summer in the Minor Prophets. Um, if any of you have been keeping up with the script, Read Scripture app, uh, you are currently in the week where you are starting to read the Minor Prophets right now. <laughs> They're fast reads. Some of them are three chapters, some of them are 16s, but they're all just really, really small. They're really fast reads. And uh, if you want to, you can actually start the Read Scripture app. You just search for on your App Store or on the Google Play Store. You, you, uh, you search for Read Scripture, download the app, start the year plan today, and it will launch you into the Minor Prophets. And you will be reading the Minor Prophets with us. But I just encourage you to read the entirety of the Minor Prophets with us this summer. Um, we're going to start off next week with Jonah. Yes. And we will de-vegetales it. And we will, uh, we will take Jonah out of the crisper. And we will, uh, yeah, we're going to have some fun with Jonah, but I want to teach a little bit of stuff through Jonah. And, um, so there's going to be some stuff where there'll be some videos that'll come up that'll kind of give you cultural context of the, of the passage. And then we're going to dive in and we're going to try to connect with a few things. And that's how it's going to work throughout the summer. So just encourage you, um, to start with that. So, uh, but today we're doing something that I really don't often do, but, uh, today is a special kind of Sunday. We are going to study Two verses. That's all we get today. Two verses. I don't do that very often because I don't like just studying two verses. I think the context has more than that. But today we're going to study two verses. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians 16, and we're going to be studying verses 13 and 14. That's all we're taking for the day today. 13 and 14. Um, okay, and I'm just gonna I'm just gonna read that passage really, really quick. Um, well, I'm, I'll jump into that in just a second. But first, let me ask you these questions. Okay, here they come. They're up on the screen, I think, uh, right about now. Yeah, there we go. Who's the person that you know is the most loving person? Who's the person that you know who's the strongest person? And who's the person you know that has the deepest faith? Now, this person may be the same person in all three categories, but let's just take one at a time. Who's the person you know that is the strongest person you know? Strongest person. Strongest person. Ray just Jesus juked everybody. He just went, just did the whole, yeah, just Jesus, Jesus strong. Yeah, go ahead, Jonas. Yeah. Everybody, quiet and 
Never mind. Don't point because he might tear your head off. Okay, so yeah. So. <laughs> yep, okay, so John Olson is what Jonas says. He's the strongest person you know. Why, Jonas? Is it because he has no neck? <laughs> True. Because he's big and scary. You hear that? He's big and scary. If you get to meet him... Never mind, he's still big and scary. Um, my favorite story to continually tell about John Olson was the time that I was late to pick everybody up from the Philippines for 45, 45 minutes late. And uh, I had never been so close to being dead for 45 more minutes on the drive. There's zero conversation, if you remember that. It was, in fact, the conversation went like this. John, I'm really, shut up. <laughs> That's the way that it went for 45 minutes. It was great. It was a great, yeah. yeah. over it. No, no, we got over it. We got over it. And eventually we moved on. Go ahead, Luke. Mr. Incredible is the strong... Oh, he's pretty strong, right? He can stop, like, all kinds of things. Yeah, that's pretty great. Go ahead, Mary. I have to say, my husband, just coming from the background he comes from, and the, the honesty with which he attacks life, I think, is very... It takes a lot to do that, and to become the kind of father that he is yeah. without that sort of example, I think, yeah. requires a lot of strength. Yeah, it takes a lot of strength to break some chains, maybe, yeah. and break. Yes, it, it's huge. Be a, be a chain breaker. Okay, how about the other one? Let's go with the most loving person you know. Most loving person you know, Jonas. Yeah. Your my mother. He said Nana. That'd be my mother. Yep, and her and her love oozes a Wisconsin accent all of the time. Yep, all of the time. Okay, it's, and how do you know she's loving? So because of all the hugs and kisses and shaking she does. I just know that she's loving because everything she does is for another person. Everything she does is for another person. That's pretty great. That wasn't even, I didn't even, I didn't coax him on that. You know, I didn't coach him on that. Go ahead, Luke. My mom. Your mom's the most loving person you know? Really? How come? What makes you, when she, how does she love you best? Is it her hugs? Yeah, it's pretty great hugs. Yeah, okay. That's And mom hugs, there's nothing better than mom hugs. Go ahead, Tyler. My mom. And this leads into a crazy mom story. <laughs> no, that time has passed. And after the Santa Claus thing, we can't go back, okay? Seriously, after the Santa Claus thing, we can't go back. But go ahead. Yeah, okay. That's fine. Because so, we'll see your mother. My mom is the most loving person because she loves everybody. And to share that, like, she wants stalked my Facebook friends of people I have friended out here so that when she came out to visit, she would know them as before. Else. So she like shares their personal information with first them. Time yeah. Meeting Laura Navels, if you know her. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. she just straight up and hugs her. She's like, oh, and she. Yeah, yeah so she oh. really caught Laura off guard. Uh huh. Uh huh. Yeah, and Laura will like karate chop you in the throat if that happens. Yeah. Okay. okay. Which is interesting because you can try to know people through Facebook, but you can't really know whether they're a hugger or not. Just saying. Yeah. Go ahead. Make a point that we moms are not stalkers. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. No. It's, all it's all. I get it. I get it. That's what all the stalkers. Yeah, all the stalkers who are arrested say the same thing. Just so you know, it was for a purpose. Nick, most loving person, John Olson. No, seriously, seriously, I, I know what he puts up with. 
and uh, his attitude and his willing to serve people, and, mm-hmm. and that is mm-hmm. pretty cool. And now he sits behind a desk, loving people with paperwork. <laughs> Yay! Yay! Yeah. Okay, now last one. How about the person who has, just first person to come to your mind that has a deep, deep faith? Just somebody who has faith. My husband. Your husband? Okay. My husband. Your husband? <laughs> your neighbor? Julia? Okay. Go ahead, David. Yep, your wife, Allie. That's her. Next to you. Yep. <laughs> Go ahead, Jonas. My dad. I did coach him on that one. <laughs> Yep, yep. It's fun to watch them, and uh, and it's fun to watch them be terrified of the things that God calls them to do. Well, these are the three things that we're going to be chatting about today. Um, if you grab your Bibles, uh, we're going to read these two verses, and <laughs> you can uh, you can follow along. I'm just going to read them real quick. I have to get to it. But First Corinthians 16, verses 13 and 14. This is Paul's closing little command, his little commission to everybody who's just everybody at this church. Like he just got done 16 chapters of telling them how they've really fallen away and they're getting they're messed up in their faith, right? And then he says this in verse 13 and 14: Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, be men of courage, be strong, do everything in love. Now the reason I just want to stop right there is just look at that look at that passage with your eyes, but look at it with your heart. I don't know a better life charge or life passage than this. Be on your guard, stand firm in the faith, have courage, be strong, and do everything in love. If you lived that passage out, if you lived that passage, if, if on the day that you passed away, this was what everybody said about you, think about the impact your life would have. I was a person who stood my garden, who stood in the faith, who did everything in love, who had courage, who was strong. That was what I did. Just a powerful couple of sentences, a powerful couple of sentences. Today, I'm going to start off with my, uh, just a personal confession. Personal confession, my deepest fear, besides bats, which all you, most of you guys know, besides bats. So besides bats, which is a really, really deep fear, um, this, every time that I stand up in this thing, every time I stand right behind this, this is the fear that comes crashing down at some point in time as I'm preparing, as I'm thinking about this, or as I'm standing in front of you looking you guys in the face. My biggest fear is this, that I will do, I will leave you with the option to practice what I call meh Christianity. It's like deep fear inside of me. That I will give you the open opportunity to practice what I call meh Christianity. So meh Christianity, what is that? Well, I think you get it, right? It's a it's it's meh. Meh. Whatever. Meh. It's, it, and, and in our culture, it's a sickness. It's a disease. It's it's spreading. It's contagious. It's, it's a contagion. It's quickly becoming the norm for Western Christians. It puts our faith and our walk on Jesus, walk with Jesus, on par with like a simple philosophy or a code of ethics or a means to fix 
right here and right now. It puts our faith into the realm of science fiction or even worse, fable. Meh Christianity is the thing that takes the risen Savior, Jesus Christ, the living God, and places Him as a legend. And so our Christianity can be something that we will simply ascribe to in thought, but not in life. That's what meh Christianity is. And it is my greatest fear any given Sunday, every Sunday, that I might leave you the option to settle for meh Christianity. And what I think Paul's doing here is this is what he's doing with these two sentences. These two sentences. And he says a few things. He says, stand in faith. First thing, stand in faith. And he ties into that, be on your guard, stand in faith. And this word faith, if you think about it, it gets a little confusing. If I asked you to describe to me faith, if I asked you to describe to me faith, what would you come up with? I hope you'd be biblical enough to be like, well, faith is the assurance of things that you cannot see yet. But I I, I like to think of it this way, that faith is acting on... It's an action. It's the motion of your life based on what you know to be true and very real, yet not tangible. It's the action of your life that banks on the things you know to be true, but not yet tangible. They're the things that you know are coming, that you know are real, that you know are there, but you can't see them, you can't feel them, you can't taste them, you can't touch them. That's what faith is, is when God says something, you step and you go, you know what, because you said it, I know that it's real. Because you said it, I know that it's more real than the things that I see. See, there's this distance between what you know and what you can prove. Um, I do this with the mind students all the time or occasionally, right? And I, I do this, and some of you guys have seen this, right? But I'm going to do it again. Okay, ready? Why does this happen, everybody? Why? Wrong! Because you keep doing it. Because I keep doing it. No, actually, yeah. The how this keeps happening is because I keep dropping it and because gravity pulls it down. That's all how. Why it does it is a completely different question. And that is the gap. That's the distance between what you can prove and what you can see and what you know to be real. And that distance right there is the place where faith walks, the place where faith stands, the place where faith has to be. This is what faith is. It is in activity. It is acting on that distance between what you know and what you can prove. See, Paul commends the the Corinthians, he commands them to be on their guard, to stand firm in the faith, because faith is hard work. Faith is something that you have to stand in and you have to work hard at. Faith is not simply closing your eyes to reality or opening your, your mind up so much that your brain just falls out of your ears. That's not what Christianity is. Faith is a gut-wrenching acting that moves forward despite the logical and conventional methods of this world telling you to stop. That's what faith is. Paul tells the Corinthians to be on their guard. Why does he say be on their guard and stand firm in the faith? Because what is the easiest thing for us to do? It's to slide away from faith and just settle into what we know and see and can prove and can taste and can touch and can see. The easiest thing in the world is to stop walking in faith and start relying on self and sight. The easiest thing in this world is to settle for, uh, to settle for the, the gut-wrenching action, settle, uh, take away the gut-wrenching acting of faith and settle for, meh, it's okay. See, meh Christianity, it just copies things it can see and goes only so far as a sacrifice is not made. It, it only copies things that are already working in other realms and then tries to appropriate them and thinks that it works here. But meh Christianity, 
it, it just doesn't have to have faith because self-reliance and self-preservation are at the center of it. But Paul's commanding these guys, stand from the faith. God is going to call you to things that are going to be completely stupid. Completely stupid to your mind and to your heart. And it's that moment where faith kicks in. It's that moment where faith kicks in. But he continues. He says, be strong. So stand in the faith, then be strong. Now, how do you define strength? Jonah said, I define strength by John Olson. But how do you define strength? And this really makes a big difference, right? Like, is it, is it physical strength? Is it having no neck and gigantic arms? Is it the measure of your muscles? Or is it the measure of your heart? Like Mary was just talking about, a heart that has enough strength in it to break some chains? Is it the ability to stay calm under pressure? Right? Is it the, is it the heroic nature of people who run into burning buildings? Is it, is that what it means to be strong? See, I've met many physically strong people who can't stand under the weight of slightest criticism. I've met many headstrong people who can't take a step of faith to save their lives because they can't see it. I've met many heroic people who run into burning buildings but run away from counseling with their spouse. I've met people who are strong. But I think strength is bigger than that. I think strength is bigger than that. I just think strength looks like Jesus. I think it's even up there on the screen. I think strength looks like Jesus. Think about Jesus, right? Like, I mean, obviously, he's carrying a hammer. He's, uh, he's, he's a carpenter. He's probably got, you know, gigantic forearms and is able to, you know, create things. He grew up in a carpenter's home. But I don't think that's the strength that you see as you read the Gospels. In fact, Isaiah would say that there was no majesty about him, no, nothing attractive about him that would draw us to him, but he was a normal reed that was broken. If you think about Jesus and how strong he is, strength is so much more than that. See, Jesus is wronged continually. If you read the scriptures, you're going to see that, right? In the, in the gospels, Jesus is wronged all of the time. And what does he do under the, under the face of that wrongingness? And when he is wronged, when he is slandered, when he is taken down, like, if we Christians believe that he is the divine one, the one who has literally set aside his throne and set aside everything and then comes down to this earth, right? And, first thing he does when he gets here is people are like, whatever, what do you know? He doesn't step there and go, doesn't step to them and say, hey, let me show you everything I know and here's the list of all of, let me blow your mind with some physics, let me tell you about the future, let's diagram a helicopter. Like he doesn't do that stuff, right? He is actually there loving people in the face of ridicule. He's minimalized and he's marginalized and he's wronged and he's kicked aside. But more than that, he leaves his own comfort, health, safety, and even identity. He leaves his own identity of authority and he sets that aside and he clings to something we call obedience. And that's that's where I start to think, okay, now maybe I can define strength, strength that way. Somebody who obeys God despite the consequences. Somebody who does what God wants them to do, what tells them to do, despite how much it costs you. If you want a definition of strength, try synonyms like the ones up on the screen. Humility, submission, sacrifice, and service. Have you ever been in a place 
Maybe you can think of this. You ever been in a place where God tells you or asks you, or somebody even that God has placed an authority above you, tells you to do something that you fundamentally disagree with in the pit of your soul? You ever been in that situation? Does it take strength to submit to it? To set aside your own rights and say, I will, I will do this even though everything inside of me is dying. That's what Jesus did. That's what he did. That's what strength is. It's obedience. It's what real strength is. It takes strength to forgive. <laughs> Think about that, right? Somebody wrongs you. Somebody has really, and I mean not just like, hey, um, I dinged your car up or something like that. I mean like personally cut you to the core. And you have to go to them and have this conversation in which you have to work out forgiveness. What is all the emotion inside of you? What is all that emotion inside of you? It is strength working its way out. It takes strength to forgive. It takes strength to pray. It takes strength to tell somebody about Jesus. It takes strength to give until it hurts. It takes strength to open up your home and love people. It takes strength to stand on a street corner and feed people that make you uncomfortable and have conversations with people. It takes strength to do these things. That is what real strength is. That's what real strength is. But then Paul continues, right? He doesn't just say faith. He doesn't just say strength. He also says love. He says, do love. Hey, love. And notice the caveat, right? What does he say? Do some things in love. Hey, 1 Corinthians. Hey, hey Corinthians. Hey, Church of Corinth. Do um, just Monday. Monday's your love day. Then the rest of the day you can be totally selfish. It's fine. No, he says what? Do everything. All things in love. All things in love. Again, I didn't coach my son, but uh, I'll brag about my mom a little bit. Jonas is totally right. My mom never stops thinking about other people. Even when, uh, even when sometimes like family members, um, like my sister who struggles with reality sometimes, even when there's like massive tension there, my mom can't stop thinking about other people. Can't stop it. She's, yeah... My mom never yelled at me. I think some of you guys know this. She never ever yelled at me, never raised her. I've never heard my mom raise her voice. Never. Ever. Ever. I heard that she did it once. <laughs> at my sister. But I never heard her. Never once. And my parents haven't had this magical, you know, wonderland of a relationship. They've had their struggles. They've had their things. I never heard my mom raise her voice. Never once. Because my mom's always thinking about other people. It's crazy. It's just it's wild. But Paul says this. He says, do everything in love. All the things we should do should be in the care of others over self. That's what love is. For the care of others over self. Do all things. Everything in love. This is like the most impossible command I've ever heard in the scriptures ever. Right? Do all things in love. Make sure that everything you do is in love for other people. Every single thing you do. Anybody here going to be able to match that? Going to like jump over that bar today? Not me. Not me. Do everything in love. Every single thing. All the choices you make. All the conversations you have. All the lunch that you eat today. All the things that you buy. All the things that you don't buy. They should be done in love for other people. Not comfort, not safety, not security, not self-gratification, not your own theological system. None of that stuff. It should be done in love. All things in love. That's crazy. 
I wish you would have said only a few things. It's a very high calling. You can't do that apart from Jesus and His Spirit. You can't do that apart from Jesus and His Spirit. It's just impossible. It's what we're supposed to do. It's what we're commanded to do. But unless Jesus does something inside of us, we're always going to struggle with this one. Now, okay, here's what I want you to know. We're going we're to start turning the corner here. But I think Paul is getting, on, getting at here is, um, he's kind of talking about the opposite of what I call meh-Christianity. And I'll show you how this works. We'll do it with a little math. We've done this math type thing um, before. But uh, we'll, pull up the, we'll pull up the slide here. See, I think these three things together is what makes a vibrant faith. These three things together. So in the first thing, you got faith and strength, but no love. Let's just say you have faith and you have strength. Think about those people you were thinking about before. They have a deep faith and they have strength. But they have no love. No love. What is that? That's a sanctified jerk. It's a guy who knows all the theological answers and will cram them down your throat without asking for permission, without talking to you, without actually caring about what you think, but about caring about being heard. This is somebody who shouts truth at people that they don't feel actually coming from you. That's, that's what that is. Faith and strength with no love. But it doesn't stop there. There's more, right? So let's just take a look at strength and love with no faith. Strength and love with no faith. This is just mysteryless gospel. This is just, well, Jesus was a great teacher. He obviously had some wisdom that was going on here. So maybe if we just live the pattern of what he says, then this world will start to be a better place and we're going to be a fully actualized human being. And there's no mystery to the power of the Holy Spirit that that dwells within you. There's no mystery to the resurrection and the new life that's coming. There's no mystery to the fact that when you go out and stand on a corner and love people and feed them and hear their story, that the Holy Spirit does something in the world around you. There's no mystery to that. Strength and love with no faith. Just social improvement programs that actually end up enslaving you and burning you out. It's a, it's trying to save the world without a savior. That's what that is. Trying to save the world without a savior. And then the very last thing is, what if you have faith and love with no strength? It's a very wishful, very, um, very, very emotional, very pleasant person to be around. Who never makes the step to tell you about the power of Jesus who actually saves you from your sin. So you look at these three things, and I, I can't I didn't put them all on one slide, but if you think about this, right? So you got faith and you got faith and strength with no love, or strength and love with no faith, or faith and love with no strength. You've got these options. Which one do you struggle with the most? Which one do you struggle with the most? And that's a not a rhetorical question, but it's a private question. Which one do you struggle with the most? Each one of us is going to struggle a little bit differently with this. And I think this is why Paul is writing this into a letter. As he's saying, hey, have faith, have strength, have love, make sure you stand guard, make sure you do this, with, make sure you love at all times. And then he writes this to a whole body. And what did he just get done saying two chapters ago? The hand can't say to the feet, I have no need for you. 
The body can't say, oh, well, I've got this on my own. And I think this is part of it too, right? Like, I have, I can have a lot of faith and strength and sometimes no love. I need to be surrounded by people who have love and faith and maybe strong or maybe lacking on the strength. And they need to be partnered with people who have strength and who have love but maybe lacking in the faith, right? And so as we body to, as we uh, partner together as one body, as we, we work with one another and we see not only our local body connected, but also the global body connected, we begin to look at that and go, man, that is how God does this whole faith, strength, and love thing. Because I actually think that you guys, or Jonas was right. One of the strongest people I know is John Olson. Not because of his physical muscles, although he's, I mean, he's pretty ripped. But because I've watched him take a step. I mean, he's old. I don't know if you guys know this. He's old. Right? And, uh, no, stop it. It's not a ooh thing. It's right. You're old, right? Um, and I've, but I've watched him adapt and change. Adapt and change. And allowed God to move him into a position as a captain and to, into, into the Philippines, which was not a comfortable thing for you. And I watched God work in him, and I watched him say things like, I'm not doing so well, I need to, I need to change these things. This guy, yeah, sure, he's physically strong, but he also can walk in some serious strength of faith. Nobody pointed at Sally when it came to the most loving person, but Sally and my mom are the same person. <laughs> Sally's not, in my experience, I don't know a person besides my mother who thinks of themselves less. And I got a guy like Chris. Chris has a deep faith. I don't know if you knew this or not. Chris sees positive stuff where there is no positive. Chris sees... He, yep, and you guys, there's a few people who are like, yep, oh my goodness. <laughs> that guy needs some help. Right? <laughs> but Chris has a deep faith. Like you have conversations with Chris and he's like, I can see this happening and I can see this happening and I can see this happening. And we're like, whoa, buddy, hold your horses. That's a lot of stuff, man. But he, when we went to Mexico, he was the guy who could see the 34 tons of concrete being moved in three days. He could see it, like visualize it. He knew exactly how it was going to look by the time it was done. That's Chris's faith. He could, he had that measure between what wasn't there and what he knew could be there. And he just started stepping. Chris needs Sally, Sally needs John, John needs Chris, and all three of them together become this power-packed little cluster of like craziness where things happen. And then we expand that bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. You need all three. You have to exercise faith, trusting God's goodness and His provision for the future. That's something I routinely battle with, just so you know, another true confession. You have to, I'm going to say it again. You have to trust God's goodness, have faith in God's goodness and His provision for the future. Something I routinely battle with. But you also must be strong knowing that doing the right thing and the faithful thing are always the same thing. And you must also love. Love like Jesus loved. Sacrificially. Obediently. Humbly. Submissively. Faith, strength, love. 
This can only be done in the power of the Spirit that Jesus sends to us. This is why we must cry out, ask Jesus to send us His Spirit, and why we actually must get frustrated enough in the dry and deadness of your own soul to be like, I can't do any of this stuff. I need help. And reach out to people around you, and reach out to Jesus, and and reach out with the people around you to Jesus, and watch the Holy Spirit come and take care of business. Jesus is able to do these things. He will do them. He will do them. You simply must be willing to trust Him and walk with Him. So my question is this. Where are you at in this? Do you need more of Jesus' love? Do you need more of Jesus' faith? Do you need more of Jesus' strength? And do you need to reach out to other people? If you're struggling in this moment where you're like, I don't have a whole lot of faith, reach out to somebody who does. You're going to struggle with them. You're going to be like, man, you are a dreamer. But you're going to watch them dream their way into something amazing as Jesus leads them. If you're struggling with love, be around somebody who's loving and sacrificing. Be around them. like Hang out with them. And you're going to learn. (laughs) I'm going to use Ted as an example. I keep pointing at him, but this is just a great opportunity. If you're struggling with love, go stand on the street corner and talk to people, but watch Ted do it. Watch him do it while you're standing there. He doesn't want you watching him do it, just so you know. He didn't ask me permission to say this. I didn't ask his permission to say this. But when you watch somebody serve somebody out of love, that's how you learn what it looks like. Or maybe you're struggling with strength. You need to stand next to somebody who's a little bit stronger than you and ask them to hold on to you. I don't know if anybody, if you've ever asked anybody this, if you've ever told anybody, hey, I don't have a whole lot of faith right now, can I borrow some of yours? I don't have a whole lot of strength right now, can I have some of yours? And I don't have a whole lot of love right now. I need some of yours. If you've never asked that question, we may not be doing this whole body thing right, and we may be satisfied with meh Christianity. I'm going to play you guys a... i got time to do this, so why not? I'm going to play you guys a video. It's a six-minute long video. It's an Alliance video that just came out. Uh, six-minute long video about these people that as I was watching this this morning, I mean, it just hit me like a ton of bricks. These people, and you'll see it, think about all the love and the faith and the strength in these people. And then i got a quick thing to wrap this up and we'll sing a song. So, go ahead. This is Logan, Ohio, a good place to call home, gateway to Ohio's scenic wonderland. This is the last remaining washboard factory in the world. This used to be the Goodyear plant that shut down before we moved here. A lot of these houses here are condemned or should be condemned, but people are still living in them or squatting in them. Just about everybody seems like they struggle with depression and anxiety to some level. They just see sort of everything falling down around them and they don't know how to escape that. In this community, there's a lot of uh, opioid problems. There are a lot of single parents, people trying to get off drugs, and people trying to make ends meet, and for the most part coming up short. We had a community event, and 
we met our neighbor. She had gone to that. She had given her life to Christ, and she decided to start coming to Antioch with her girls. They really felt at home at our church, and she really started growing in some big ways. It was neat having her across the street, and she could come over and ask, she'd ask questions, and what about this or what about that? One day, there was a car from the sheriff's department sitting out front of our house, and that's always just slightly concerning. A couple days later, she came to our house and was crying and said that there had been some things that had gone on before she had gotten saved, and that she was going to be going to prison for a while, and would my wife Bethany and I consider taking her, her four girls. There's a lot of encouragement. There's a lot of people warning us, saying, you know, what about all the trauma that the girls have been through, and how is that going to affect your kids? People would say, well, you guys are crazy. I could never do that. I couldn't just stand by and let four girls go into the foster system knowing that they would be split up. They would be sent to probably different parts of the state, if even in this state. In my mind, I looked at all the angles. You know, I just felt like, these are your girls. That's what God said. That's it. I'd pray and I'd say, God, what do you want me to do? And I'd get the Bible verse, you know, true religion's taking care of widows and orphans in their time of need. We just said, yeah, we'll take the girls, whatever that means. At first, uh, she was going to be going to prison for six months. And then it became a year and a half, and it was like, okay, that's, that's a little bit more of a stretch. We went to court understanding there had been a deal sort of made that she was going to be in prison for a year and a half, and we thought, okay, it's a little bit, but it's doable. In court, the judge struck that deal down and said, you're going to do four years. I was strangely calm, but I think I was partially in shock to, like, what just happened? We're going to have these girls for probably ever. This just changed my life. This just changed my kids' life. This just changed the girls' lives. We called one of our now fairly regular family meetings, and everybody sat around the TV room, and I said, this is, this is what happened, and we're just going to do this together, and we're going to make mistakes together and learn to live together, and it's God that put us together as a family, and we're going to have to trust God. We haven't gotten hit from ways that we weren't expecting, but somehow we've become a family. They're not the neighbor girls across the street. You bring somebody into the family and they become your children. You love them like your children. You, you know, give up your life for them like your children. I've really kind of taken to heart, you know, when God says we're adopted into his family. That's more real to me. Like, I understand it better going through this. Jesus has written an interesting story for our family. It's got its fair share of craziness, but I think that's the kind of story Jesus writes. My heavenly one adopted me. They didn't kill me. 
Can you see it? Faith, strength, and love. You see it? Think about how much faith that takes when you're sitting there folding laundry for another four children. Think about how much strength that that takes to be able to say, I will take these children for the rest of my life, and we are going to try to work out the path of humility and becoming a family together. Think about how much love that that takes to be able to set aside the comfort of your own cell of a family and say, all right, this is what Jesus wants. We're going to trust this. And my guess is if, I mean, the Alliance videos make this sound all perfect, right? Like, you've got to know that this is not a perfect thing. This has got all kinds of craziness with it, I'm sure of it. And there's ups and there's downs and there's relationship and there's all kinds of... There's all kinds of struggle and all kinds of stuff that are going on in this family, but think about how they are living out faith and hope and love. So my question for you is this. Are you, are you ready to trust Jesus and step in real faith, real strength, and real love? And I, I want, this is not the moment, and just trust me because we're going a little bit further here yet, This is not the moment of hyperbole where Brian gets to say, hey, are you ready for this? And then we're going to pray and you're going to go on your merry way. You actually have a very real opportunity right now, right now to practice faith and love and strength. A very real opportunity. You have a choice before you today to see faith and strength and love. Because there's something happening that you guys, some of you, don't know about. Um, Today is... Um, the best way to, to announce this is today is the day that I am offering my resignation to Common Ground Church. Um, Laura and I have been called to, uh, in some crazy turn of events, we have been called to pastor an international church in Toulouse, France. And to build a network of international churches in, Fran- in uh, Europe, the Middle East, and the Northern Room of Africa. And we're being asked to plant other churches in that same region. And so today is the day that um, our family changes a little bit. Our family changes, just like these guys, right? Like your family changes. Dynamics of families change. 
And as with any family, there are changes that happen that have to, we have to actually have faith and strength and love and combine all those things. And today is one of those days. Um, effective June 23rd, and that will be my last Sunday here, June 23rd. And, uh, and by July, um, the entire Faltinsky family will be living in Europe. Try, well, oh yeah, not winter. We're leaving her here because you know what? We've had enough of her. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. She's still part of our family. She's still part of your family. And guess what? She's still going to be around Rapid City. And this is not, uh, I know this sounds really trite. This is not goodbye, but this is actually like hello to a new chapter because part of this job is to build connections and relationship with the Rocky Mountain District, with this church. We will be back every two years. Every two years we will be back. It's part of the agreement to see you guys, and then back over there to get back to work. This is something that is, uh, it's a big deal. And for some of you, you guys have, we've met with you face-to-face throughout the week because you've been digging in with us since before we met you. Um, for some of you guys, this is a brand spanking new, obst- brand spanking new um, announcement, and it is a shock, and I get that. But I just need you to know that we love you guys. We... we <laughs> We will always be part of this family. This is the best church I've ever been a part of, the most strong church I've ever been a part of. Um, but it is it is time, uh, at least that's what Jesus says, it's time for a new phase of what Common Ground looks like and what our ministry looks like. So it's not hyperbole. Are you ready to practice faith and hope and strength and love? Um, the next season is going to be awesome. And Nick's going to come up here and kind of let you guys know about that, right? I think he's he's been tasked to come up here and talk to people. And then we get a chance to worship Jesus together. We get a chance to... Matt's going to come up here. We're going to sing some songs. and um, or We're going to sing a song. We get a chance to worship Jesus together. Just so you know, Laura and I are completely open. We're going to have any questions that you have, any responses. You can be angry. You can be less than angry. You can... Uh, it's whatever. We, we'll, we'll meet you over by the cheesecake pile because those are amazing. <laughs> Well, first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to invite the remainder of the Faltinsky clan up here. So if they could, uh, yeah, just come on up here. And I'm going to ask uh, my fellow elders and the remainder of the governing board to come up here and stand behind them or with them somehow. (laughs) This tiny little platform. So, um, I guess the first thing I have to do is, is I got to say thank you, Brian. Thank you for listening. We hope you have been blessed. Please join us again at Common Ground Church.